Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. I was in seminary and I was taking my first preaching class, which is a very intimidating thing to preach in your seminary class. And I chose this passage, Ephesians 4. And at the time, I was working a part-time job. Uh, at a local home builder in the risk management department. And Yvonne was my sugar mom at the time. I was working part-time. She was supporting our family. But anyway, so our department was made up of three people. And uh, my boss and a co-worker and myself. And just the dynamics between the three of us was just very messy and complicated. Uh, my boss and my co-worker just, co-worker just had a lot of tension going on. So every day you come to work and there's just drama every day. So I'm getting ready to preach uh, this message on unity and showing grace to one another for my seminary class. And my boss is just very intrigued by my calling and my desire to be a pastor. And she's like, I want you to give this sermon to us, the two of us. So there I am at my corporate job in my boss's office giving a sermon to the two of them about grace and unity. It was one of the most awkward moments in my life. And I was just saying, God, I hope you're doing something here because I have no clue what's going on right here. So that gives you a little context. This passage has had an interesting uh, place in my life and story. I want to read it. So it's Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together. God, I pray this morning um, that your word would go forth and that your heart um, would be made known to us, your people, God, that we would really grasp your heart for your church, your heart and desire for us to live in unity together. God, I just feel this is such an important topic uh, to you, and I just pray this morning uh, that you would do a work in us, that it would really matter uh, to us, your people. Um, So God, I just pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I mean, apart from a corporate setting, even in the body of Christ, after we have come into relationship with Jesus, Relationships are very challenging. Community can be very messy. We're all broken people with ups and downs, joys and struggles. And when we come together, it can sometimes create relational fireworks with people of different personalities and different backgrounds and different stories going on. I think about um, those paint-by-number projects. I don't know if you guys did that when you were a kid. But it tells you exactly what color uh, to put into each area. You know, number one, you put a blue in. Number two, you put a red in. 
It's nice and neat and controllable. And if you do everything exactly as you're supposed to, you get a pretty good-looking picture. And I think some of us, like myself, we want community to be like this. We want it to be controllable and ordered and nice and easy. But it just doesn't work that way. This week I've been thinking about the image of a bunch of broken shards of glass being put together. In this struggle, it doesn't seem like anything is being created among a group of fallen and broken people. But slowly, God is building something. He is building a beautiful mosaic out of his people. And at times, we'll get glimpses of the glory of God in community. Uh, But I just really feel like in the struggle and the mess, we need to keep believing that God is doing something here. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, he's writing to the church, and he talks about how they've been called into a relationship, into a relationship with other believers, the body of Christ, the community of God's people. Uh, Starting in verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I want to spend a moment just talking about the nature of calling here in in verse 1. A little over 12 years ago, I stood in front of a couple hundred people and watched as Yvonne's dad walked her down the aisle. It was our wedding day. Yvonne and I were beginning a new life and family together. It was very clear to me that day that I was marrying Yvonne. I, I got that much of the picture. What wasn't clear to me was that I was marrying into Yvonne's family and she was marrying into my family. More than a relationship just between Yvonne and myself, we had to begin navigating relationships among our families. And it gets a whole lot more complicated and messy. Right, honey? Yeah? Amen there? Amen. When Ephesians says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received, it's more than a calling just to Jesus Christ alone. From the context and how Ephesians 4 progresses, Paul is talking about a calling into the family of believers. It's now part of our mission, our vocation, our business as a follower of Jesus to learn how to live and function in the family of God. And I think we struggle to wrap our minds around the magnitude of this. And often we think it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and God. But through Jesus Christ, we have been, so to speak, married in to the family of God. And this morning, just fully acknowledging the messiness and struggle of community, I want to charge us to fight for two things. Uh, from these verses. I've been talking a lot throughout this series about fighting for God's vision of community. I think it, it's a fitting metaphor today. The first one is fighting to extend grace. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. All other religions are built on the mindset of you get what you deserve. If you're a good person... Of course, you deserve to be 
with God forever. And I grew up in the church, and that's what I thought of when I was a little kid. I was good enough to be with God. But the message of Scripture is radically different. There is no one righteous. There's no one deserving to be in a relationship with a perfect and holy God. We are all messed up by our sin. And it's only through the grace extended to us through the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross that we are able to be invited into the family of God. It is all about grace. The gospel is all about grace. We have gotten what we do not deserve through Jesus Christ. And therefore, and this is a big therefore, God wants his community to be a people who are ruled by grace. Undeserved, unwarranted, immeasurable, unexplainable grace. And Paul is going to lay out some of the ingredients of a community that's ruled by grace. Verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. First one is be completely humble. In the context of the New Testament before Jesus' arrival, humility was seen as a foolish quality to pursue. This idea of lowliness and making yourself less was despised in ancient culture. And I don't think it's much different today. There is a drive in our culture to make a name for yourself all about status. In a community where grace is a trademark, people are not looking to make a name for themselves, but they consider and appreciate and honor others above themselves. I love Philippians 2.3. It says it like this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And Paul doesn't just say be humble. He says be completely humble. Second thing he says is be gentle. Gentle can also be translated as meekness. And meekness has nothing to do with weakness. I think I make that association because it rhymes, but that's not a good way to define words. Meekness is a strength that knows who you belong to. When you realize that you belong to Jesus, it frees you to live in a way similar to humility, to waive your own rights out of consideration for others. And then he says, be patient. I have to pause here and say, Cubs fans, I truly admire you. I really do. I'm not a Cubs fan. But your devotion to your team gets to the heart of biblical patience, which is long-suffering. You guys have suffered so long, and I have a little bit of compassion for you. Long-suffering describes a spirit of never giving up, a spirit of persistence. And this is huge in community. Long-suffering leads us to make allowance for others' shortcomings and to endure wrong. 
rather than putting people in their place or seeking revenge. I mean, God wants us to be people that are long-suffering for one another. And the final thing Paul says here is bearing with one another in love. All these ingredients are rooted in love. Love that is first experienced from Christ and then offered to the community. I think of 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And to bear with one another in love acknowledges this, this is a long journey together. You know, today is the Chicago Marathon. Uh, I know Pastor Frank's daughter, Christina, is running it. And I wish I could be out there running today. I truly do miss uh, long-distance running. And the runners are probably like almost three hours into it. You're hitting that point where you are running out of fumes and you are running out of strength uh, on your own. And that's honestly what I love about running, even though it sounds very painful and it is. That point where you realize, I have nothing left to give. And you cry out to God, if you believe in God, and call upon him, and you see God give you new strength to endure and to make it through it. And I find it incredible to kind of hear the stories of what these long-distance runners, those guys in the first row, are able to do. These guys are running like crazy amounts of Like 150 miles a week is normal for them. And I just stop it, and I'm in awe of what God has created the human body to be capable of, for some of us, for a few of us. <laughs> and it got me thinking, if the human body has this amazing capacity to, to do great things, it makes me wonder, what can the human spirit, transformed by Jesus Christ, be able to do in extending love and grace. We have a great God whose love and grace for us knows no limits. And he is a God who is wanting us to become the most loving and gracious version of ourselves. Immeasurable love and enduring grace is able to flow through us because the power of an infinite God who resides in us, his people. Our pride, our impatience, our callousness, our lack of grace in community is not too difficult for God to transform and to redeem and to change us and make us different. Will we dare to believe and pray for what is possible through God? That he can refine and shape us into individuals and communities of people of such radical grace and love that is unexplainable apart from the power of God at work in us. That is my hope and prayer for us as a church. And I want to give you just a very practical encouragement with this. Ask God to allow you to be able to cast a wide and deep net of grace. Cast a wide and deep net of grace. Like a fisherman who wants to, cast, or wants to catch a lot of fish, he casts his net both wide and deep. I believe that God wants to do a work in you so you're able to extend grace in deep 
in broad ways to one another. And here, here's where I think it gets, gets real for us. Think about who you struggle most with in community. Maybe it's a person you can name. Maybe don't look around the room right now because that person might be in this room right now. Or maybe it's a type of person just that you have a hard time with. As God has freely lavished grace on you, ask God to give you a heart of grace for that person. And even practically, here's what I would challenge you to do is to begin to pray for that person. And as you pray for that person, don't ask God to change them. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to pour out his amazing favor on that person. Just pray prayers of blessing for them and see what God will do in your heart and how he will change you. I really believe we need to fight to extend grace in community. And the second thing is we need to fight to keep our unity. Verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying we have this incredible unity rooted in the Trinitarian God who is one. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. One body, one hope, one baptism. You get the repetition there. One, one, one. But if you go back to verse 3, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And if you read commentators, they kind of wrestle with this a little bit. Paul says, make every effort. And a lot of people ask the question, Paul, which is it? Do we have unity or don't we? You say we have unity in the Spirit, but then you tell us to keep that unity. It's like the couple who says we're kind of dating. Either you're dating or you're not. Come on, people, you know. Paul is saying we don't have to create our unity. God has created it through his son, Jesus. We are called to preserve our unity and to live it out. I was trying to think of an example to kind of illustrate this. And I am one of three siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And uh, I will always be their brother. No matter what happens in this life, if one of us passes away, uh, we are bound together forever. And I rarely get to see them. They live far, far away. But I saw my brother yesterday. And I don't have to look him in the eye and convince myself I am, I am his brother. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But to, yet, to be, actually be a good brother is a whole other story. I need to work at it. I need to make an effort and live it out. It needs to become practical to really be a good brother. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. We are bound together in the family of God. The Spirit of God has created a unity among us that will endure 
forever. But we need to practically live out our unity in real ways. And the language Paul uses here has a sense of great urgency. He knows this is a problem in the church back then, and I think he knows that we will struggle with this today. Make every effort. One theologian says this implies a full effort of the whole person, involving their will, their sentiment, their reason, their strength, their total attitude. It's not simply our behaviors or outward actions. It's first and foremost an examination of the heart. Paul is saying you need to fight for this. This matters to the heart of God, and you cannot take this lightly. I was greatly encouraged by this quote by Larry Crabb, and he says, Conflict is a problem only spiritual community can handle. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of a spiritual community. I think we all know that conflict is inevitable in relationships. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. The encouragement that Larry Crabb is making here is that with Christ, we have the ability to face conflict and to really fight to preserve our unity. You know, when I was preaching this, you know, back in my seminary days, I spent some time that week trying to evaluate my relationships and just really, God, examine my heart and my attitude towards people. Is there any brokenness that exists in my relationships? And there was a guy at church that I sensed that something wasn't right. And when I saw him at church, it just felt a little awkward or off. And I really felt led to just approach him. And it's not someone here. It's at a previous church, just so you know. So I wouldn't use modern-day illustrations for something like this. Um, so we sat down. We had a cup of coffee. And I just was just sharing with him what I was sensing. And just basically, are we okay or not? And he was very honest with me. He was making some assumptions about me that weren't true. And it was affecting our relationship. But we handled it in a very peaceful way, a very honest way. And I think we both were very thankful that that day we fought for our unity in relationships. And I can't say I've always done this well. But I want to pay attention to relationships that are off and not let disunity linger. I think we have to remember that we have an enemy who would love for nothing more to see the body of Christ in conflict and for us to struggle to experience unity. And I just want to be very honest. Maybe there are some relationships in this room or in our church that need some attention. There's a broken, brokenness or a disunity among our body that needs to be addressed. To sit down and have a conversation, are we okay? And if not, let's hash it out with humility and grace and patience for one another. I think the goal in these conversations isn't trying to prove who's right or wrong. It's really seeking understanding and really fighting together 
for unity. And I really believe some of you this week, if you're paying attention to the word of God, you need to make an effort. And Paul would say, make every effort to fight for unity. To go to that person and just say simply, are we okay? And just start there. And I just want to encourage you, face-to-face is always better. Don't do this by text, please. (laughs) Or email. A phone call's okay, but face-to-face is always better. And I just want to charge us as a body, don't let disunity linger. It's too important to God for it to not matter to us. And the final thing I just want to briefly share before we break into our tables is our unity and our grace for one another matters to a watching world. I love this quote by Francis Schaeffer. He says, but after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, so he's talking about reaching people for Christ, evangelism, still we must never forget that the final apologetic what Jesus gives us is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. He's saying our final defense for our faith comes down to how we live out our community for one another. Will we love each other? Will we fight for one another? And he's just drawing from the words of Jesus that, who said in John 17, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity demonstrates to a watching world that the Father has sent his Son into the world. The stakes are so high for us when it comes to the unity of the body of Christ. Again, I just want to charge us. This is something we need to fight for. We need to fight to extend grace and fight to keep our unity among our body. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.